Attention over here to the baptism. Why don't you stand up there? This young man is, and I quote, hashtag Easton Wayne Jordan Batman Transformer Hulk Smash. Flash, you forgot to write that flashboard. I did I did I mess up the ending of that? <laughs> that is what his mother calls him. This is this young man. Um, you want to say hi to everybody? Say hi. hi. No, you got to say it louder. Hi. <laughs> uh, Easton is the uh, son of Jeremy and Ashley Jordan, and he accepted Christ on the bottom bunk of his bed in recent months, and he wanted you to know. We were... I asked him while we were at the bottom of the stairs, so uh, Easton, what is it, uh, why do you want to get baptized? And he goes, well, it's like inviting people to your birthday party. You want everybody to know. So that's what we're doing here. Do you have anything else you want to say to everybody? Um, I don't know. You don't know yet? All right, well, let's baptize you, and then you can talk after. Make sure you don't hit me on the bridge. Okay, I will not hit you, I promise. You want to plug your, <laughs> you want to plug your nose? No. no, you don't want to plug your nose. All right, here we go. 
Easton, having heard your profession of faith and knowing that you've accepted Christ as your Savior, it's my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Miss Alicia, will you pray for Easton? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this young man. Father, my new brother in Christ. And Father, thank you for the decision that he made to trust you as his Savior. Father, I just pray that you would, um, as Proverbs 3 says, that he would not lean on his own understanding, but he would lean on you all the rest of his days. And Father, you, you are faithful to your word and that you will lead and you will guide and direct him. So Father, just pray that you would protect his heart, protect his mind. Let him uh, be brave and courageous for you, Father, and um, serve you faithfully all of his days. Father, just pray for Ashley and Jeremy, that you would give them wisdom to parent Easton. Father, that you would give them just patience and, and courage as well in this, doing this parenting thing. Father, it can be scary and fearful at times, but Father, they um, help them to realize that you are a mighty and amazing God and can be fully trusted. And so, Father, I just thank you for this celebration. Thank you for Easton, Lord, and for the plans that you have for him. And we celebrate that today. In Jesus' name, amen. I can tell you can swim. He's been telling me all morning he wanted to swim in here. You just didn't get to enjoy it. This is Paisley Carnley and her daddy, Justin. She's been wanting to be baptized for a very, very long time. She's kept begging me, will you please ask the pastor if I can be baptized? Isn't that right? Paisley? You want to say hi to everybody? Hello. <laughs> Paisley, have you, uh, have you asked Jesus to take away your sins? And you've asked him to live inside of your heart for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life? Paisley? I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray for them. Father God, I thank you for a heritage of faith. Um, I thank you that we get to pass this down to our children. Uh, Lord, there's so many things in this world that would pull them away from loving you with all their hearts, minds, and souls. But these two children, Father, wanted to be baptized. They wanted the church to know that you, you own them. They wanted these people to know that you were in their hearts. And they wanted, they, uh, they wanted them to know that you were going to lead their lives. And I know they're young. But that's why they gave them moms and dads, to disciple them and to train them. And I pray you'd bless both of these families. And I pray, Father, right now for Paisley. You know her future. You know what you have for her. And I pray that she would grow up and be a godly woman like her, like her mother and like her grandmother. And the family has raised her in the things of God. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that this young lady would have a special calling, a special ministry, and a special hope. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Good morning. It is great to see you with us this morning. What a way to start our time together um, by celebrating baptism. And I uh, want to let you know that uh, if you've made a decision to trust Christ, but you have not been baptized yet, um, see, we really do do baptisms. Some people think we don't. If you have not uh, been baptized and you'd like to be baptized, if you'll just let myself, Pastor Mark, 
uh, or Ms. Alicia know, uh, we'll be glad to set that up for you. Matter of fact, on October 2nd, we've got um, a group of students that are going to be baptized, and so um, just kind of seems like we're at that point now where and we just have a lot of bachelors going on, so it's really exciting to be a part of. Um, just want to take a couple of moments, if you have your worship guides, if you'll grab those. Uh, a lot of things that are coming up. Uh, we do have a women's uh, brunch that's going to be happening next Saturday, and Julie has a table set out in the lobby. You can get signed up for that. Um, there's also a women's Bible study that's going to be starting Wednesday. So is that out there also? On the ladies' table, so you can get signed up for that. Um, Let's see what else is happening. Lots of stuff happening. Um, second win post-game parties. If uh, you've driven by the parking lot after the Panther games on uh, Friday nights, you've noticed kids everywhere. And uh, we've got another post-game party coming up. Uh, that's for 6th through 12th graders. And uh, so if you have a 6th through 12th grader looking for something to do after the football game, home football games, uh, then come hang out with us. We have a great time doing that. Uh, our ushers will come forward. We'll go ahead and take our offering this morning. But once again, thank you for coming and spending some time with us. We want to pray together as we uh, commit our time to the Lord, and as we give our offerings uh, and begin to worship a little bit more. Also on October 2nd, is that right? You want to tell them about that? Yeah, we're having another worship night, October 2nd. Um, we just get here for about an hour. We sing, and uh, yeah, just do it for about an hour. Uh, it's open to the community, so if you guys know anybody that's not part of Carpenter's Way, invite them. It's fun. We have a good time. Sweet. All right, let's pray. God, we are grateful for this morning, and God, we celebrate Paisley, Ethan's baptism, God, we thank you that, uh, that, God, they made a decision to trust you at such an early, early age, and we celebrate that this morning, and God, we thank you for how you're moving and working in folks' hearts, and you're drawing folks to yourself, and God, as we continue to celebrate through baptisms in the coming weeks, that, God, may we be encouraged by that, God, may we just be reminded that you're still in the business of changing lives, and you're still moving, you're still working, so God, we give you this time this morning as we take our offering, God, we thank you for how you continue to bless Carpenter's Way, and God, pray that as you receive these offerings from your people this morning, God, that we would just be good stewards, continue to use them just to glorify you and build the kingdom. But God, these next few moments as we worship through giving, as we worship through singing, and as we open up your word, God, I pray that your spirit would move amongst us, you would challenge us, you would encourage us, but most of all, I pray that you would remind us of who you are and how much you love us. In Jesus' name we pray.
there in the newborn cry there in the light of every sunrise there in the shadows of this life your great grace is there on the mountain top There in the everyday and the mundane. There in the sorrow and the dancing. Your great grace. Oh, such grace. From the creation to the cross. There from the cross into eternity. Your grace finds me. Yes, your grace finds me. There on a wedding day. There in the weeping by the graveside. There in the very breath we.
from the creation to the cross there from the cross into eternity your grace finds me yes your grace finds me wow i love that song ah our kids are dismissed right there's kids programming got gps so kids you can take off you know, um, as those kids go, I just, I just want to point out something, the two baptisms you saw this morning. For those of you who uh, are here maybe just for the baptism or you're watching on the internet, let me just tell you that we don't talk these kids into this. In fact, in fact, I think, uh, I think Paisley had been asking for like six or seven months or longer. Just understand, want to make sure you understand. Um, baptism doesn't save you. It just tells everybody else, you've accepted Jesus Christ's offer to forgive your sin. And I want to be clear, it isn't a Baptist thing. It isn't even an evangelical thing. It's anybody who follows Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You take a stand, man. And i got to tell you what, the world's going to look at you funny, but everybody's somebody's fool. Whose fool are you? I want to pray for our kids today. They're going to go back there, and there's some adults who miss Bible study, or who miss phenomenal preaching. And, uh, and uh, why'd you laugh? Why don't you amen when I say stuff like that? That's, God, oh, stop, really. <laughs> Let's pray for our children, okay? Father God, thank you for this morning. I, uh, I, just, I just love those kids. And I, I, every time I'm I involved with kids being baptized, I keep thinking of um, the conversations I've had with adults in the past where parents are concerned that their kids are too young. Or, and I just hear your, the echoes of your voice. Let the kids come to me. Don't stop them. Let them come. And Father, I just uh, thank you for Easton and Paisley and their families this morning. It's great to see those rows full of people that love those kids. And now, Lord, as we turn our, our face back to you, we're aware that there's some adults going to go meet with the kids and disciple them. They're going to raise them up. It's what we do. We teach people about you from your word. And it is my prayer, Father, that we would not make little Baptists. That's not what we want. We want young disciples. People who don't follow Southern Baptist Convention ways but follow Jesus Christ ways. Protect us from that. Protect us from ourselves. And make us like you, Father. Make us like you. I pray this morning's message, Lord, would be encouraging. I pray that uh, your children who are struggling would be reminded that this is a battle. And it is difficult. But we're going to win. We've already been declared victors. And it's just a matter of time till what we experience matches the fact. So we love you, Lord, and we ask you to meet with us today. Let your Holy Spirit have reign in this place and talk to us and change us and make us like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin this morning with a familiar psalm, Psalm 139. Um, it's going to be on the screen so you can follow along. Or if you'd rather just listen, it says, Oh, Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I am far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too, and the actual Hebrew word is overwhelming. It's too overwhelming for me. For some reason, the English translators have called it wonderful, but the Hebrew is actually overwhelming. It's awful. It's awful. That's actually the word, awful. Not like bad, but ah, whoa. It's too awful for me, too great for me to understand, too vast. 
I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even the dark, in the darkness I cannot hide from you. To you, night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. You made all the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter, utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. You, they cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of the sands. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Oh God, if only you would destroy the wicked. Get out of my life, you murderers. <laughs> Weird twist. They blaspheme you. Your enemies misuse your name. Oh Lord, shouldn't I hate those who hate you? Shouldn't I despise those who oppose you? Yes, I hate them with total hatred. For your enemies are my enemies. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Th this is a great psalm. Uh, and for whatever reason, it's a psalm that is often thrown out or pieces of the psalm are often thrown out when we're having a pro-life event. It talks about being woven in our mother's womb. talks about the days of our lives being numbered, God knowing exactly what goes on. What is interesting is there's a few things I remember from Bible school. Um, a lot of stuff you catch and you kind of remember, but you don't remember it for a class. But I had one particular class with a very young Hebrew scholar who's now a very famous uh, Hebrew theologian. But he was just starting out at Moody Bible Institute when I was there, and we did a whole semester on this particular psalm. And his premise was that the Hebrew writer was angry. He wasn't worshiping. It is at least reasonable to believe from the language he used in Hebrews that he was frustrated. Have you never felt that? I just want a day off. God, why are you always asking more of me? You gave me this husband. I just want to pretend I'm not married to her for a day. Or these children are going to be the end of me. <laughs> or you sin. And then you feel guilty. Same sin as always. And you just go, I just can't even get away from you. I'm not saying for sure that's what he's saying, but this Hebrew theologian said that he's frustrated with God's awesomeness, the wonder of him, and not like, oh, I'm worshiping you. And you know, what's interesting is the end kind of senses that. All of a sudden he turns on, I should hate these people, right? And then he asks God to search his heart and show me, explain his anxiousness. I mean, this isn't a psalm just of singing. There are certainly psalms like that of just worship. This is a song of anxiety, of frustration. Because the truth is, it seems to me that if I've been adopted by the king of the universe, who is God of gods, who can start things and stop things with the word, the one who spoke into existence creation, the one who knows my life, the one who sewed me together with my weaknesses and strengths, if he knows all that, he could have just tweaked some things a little bit to make my life more comfortable. This seems reasonable to me. What if the psalmist who writes this actually feels sometimes like you do? Exhausted. Frustrated. 
that God doesn't always do what he can do to make our life a little easier. Look at Psalm 10. Oh Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? The wicked arrogantly hunt down the poor. Let them be caught in the evil they plan for others. For they brag about their evil desires. They praise their greedy curse. Uh, uh, they praise the greedy and curse the Lord. The wicked are too proud to seek God. They seem to think that God is dead, yet they succeed in everything they do. They do not see their, your punishment awaiting them. They sneer at all their enemies. They think nothing bad will ever happen to us. We will be free of trouble forever. Their mouths are full of cursing, lies, and threats. Trouble and evil are on, their, on the tips of their tongues. They lurk in ambush in the villages waiting to murder innocent people. They are always searching for helpless victims. Like lions crouching and hiding, they wait to pounce on the helpless. Like hunters, they capture the helpless and drag them away in nets. Their helpless victims are crushed. They fall beneath the strength of the wicked. The wicked think, God isn't watching us. He has closed his eyes and won't even see what we could do. Arise, O Lord. Punish the wicked, O God. Don't ignore the helpless. That's the psalm. Happy, happy. Put that to, a, to, put that to verse. How about Psalm 22, 1 and 2? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help every day? I call to you, my God, but you don't answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. Oh, and Psalm 74. Why do you hold back your strong right hand, unleash your powerful fist and destroy them? Oh, you, oh God, are king from ages past, bringing salvation to the earth. You split the sea by your strength and smash the heads of the sea monsters. You crush the heads of Leviathan and let the desert animals eat them. You crush the springs and, or you cause the springs and streams to gush forth. And you dried up rivers that never run dry. Both day and night belong to you. You made the starlight and the sun. You set the boundaries of the earth and you made both summer and winter. See how these enemies insult you, Lord. A foolish nation has dishonored your name, but let these wild beasts destroy your turtle doves. Don't let them. Don't forget your suffering people forever. Remember your covenant promises, for the land is full of darkness and violence. Don't let the downtrodden be humiliated again. Instead, let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, and defend your cause. Remember how these fools insult you all day long. Don't overlook your enemies what your enemies have said or their growing uproar. Uh, you know, I, I, I know it's like, wow, these are intense. But, you know, the, the fact is that when you watch um, jihadists cut the heads off of believers, if you're human as a Christian, you have to go, wow, I'm glad it's over there and not here. But God, what are you doing? Or, or, or when you lose your job for being honorable or your marriage because you didn't commit adultery and they did. Sometimes you just look up into heaven and go, what's, what's going on? There are so many of these prayers like David and other psalmists recorded for us in God's word. They're, they're here so that you can see the emotions of Old Testament and New Testament saints. They're the same emotions we feel today. The same. It's hard to be God's servant down here. It's hard to be his child. To try to, to, to work uh, to, it's, it's hard to work uh, and be faithful to the task he's given us because a lot of times we feel like we're failing. I mean, there's some of us who don't even want to witness because we can't even walk with him faithfully, it feels like. It gets discouraging. And that's why we've been doing this series over the past few weeks. 
Uh, we're going to have two more weeks after this. The next two are going to be really encouraging. I'm really excited about them. Next week, we're going to talk about being resigned to God's plan. And then the final one is going to be over, being overwhelmed with this plan. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about those. But in our look so far, we have seen some of our spiritual, spiritual heroes feel angry, afraid, even abandoned. And this week, I want to show you that sometimes our biblical heroes actually feel exhausted from the battle that might have led them to a point of depression. I actually wanted to put depression, but I didn't want to spend a lot of time talking about the difference between clinical depression and the depressed feeling of being overwhelmed. So I want to call it exhaustion. Exhaustion in the battle. The reason, the reason we're doing this series is because with all of the stuff going on around in our world, in our country, and in your life, it is so easy to have up here the knowledge that God is good and awesome and more overwhelming than your problems, but to feel in here that he's forgotten you. It's easy to feel something that you know is not true. And if you're honest, and you're all staring at me a little bit, if you're honest, and if you walk with God more than three minutes, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And sometimes you look at your spouse or your Bible study teacher, your pastor, or you talk to God and you go, I know you're good, but it would be nice if I could taste some of the frosting. Sometimes we just feel ah, like what we know to be true, we don't experience. These emotions, if, if not put in proper perspective, makes us vulnerable to the lies of Satan. This is a real war we're in. This is real. It's a spiritual war. And you have an enemy who plays with no rules. He watches you, he knows you, and he's messing with your head every day. And his goal is not to get you to go to hell because he's lost that. If you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 1 John 1, 9. If you have confessed your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You stand before him right now, pure and holy, according to Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. You stand before him pure and holy. But just because you stand before him pure and holy, sometimes... We make ourselves vulnerable to the, easy, to the evil one because we forget what the facts are. I want to remind you that these aren't just Old Testament states that struggled with this. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 2, 3 and 4, Paul said this to the church of Corinth after uh, he said, When I first came to you, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. On Wednesday nights, we've been studying Acts, and we knew why he came to Corinth tired and trembling and fearful because he ran from the previous town for his life and we know why that wasn't why he was tired when he came there because he had run from four previous town he'd been run out of town for the ministry and just so you know being run out of town and have your life threatened and the people that housed you arrested and some killed doesn't make you feel happy it doesn't make you feel good it makes you feel like you're losing Listen to Paul explain in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 why he was discouraged at times. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness by the Holy Spirit within us, and our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest, but they call us imposters. We are ignored, even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. <clears throat> Excuse me, I just lost my text. 
That's the problem of using an iPad. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we, have spiritual, we, have, we, uh, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Oh, dear Corinthian friends, we have spoken honestly with you, and our hearts are open to you. There is no lack of love on our part, but you have withheld your love from us. <laughs> Sign up. I want to be one of those guys. If you want to know what Paul felt, feelings, Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 23. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go to be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Uh, that's fancy, but you know what he's saying, right? I'm just, this, this life is not working out the way I dreamed it. This is tough. I'd rather die. But this isn't about me. That's how he felt. This is Paul talking. The guy who wrote most of the New Testament sounding like Jonah. Just kill me, God. Jonah, are you mad? I'm mad enough to die. Remember that? Have you ever felt like that in the daily task God has assigned to you? Moms? Don't get me wrong. I, I know that you're like, we do this in the church. Yeah, well, I'm not Jonah. I wasn't called to the Assyrians in Nineveh to minister. Or, or I'm not Paul, I, I'm, I haven't been shipwrecked for the kingdom. I'm too busy changing diapers. That is your task, my friend. Did, did you see this this morning? Do, do you know why those children want to be baptized? Because mom and dad walk with God and are discipling those children. And changing their diapers. And disciplining them. And feeding them three meals a day, right after they snuck a cookie. And all that other stuff. And I got news for you. I'm just finding out that it's actually more tiring to raise young children, but more exhausting to raise adult children. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Nobody told me this before. I mean, you know what happens when they become adults, for those of you who have young children, is, is you become part of the problem. Because when they're 10, you say, do this, don't do that. When they're 20, if you keep doing that, you really become that parent you said you won't ever be. You know, we're, I, I think I mentioned this to you recently. Zach, my little magic boy, he's actually older than Julie and I were when we got married. Yeah, that's what I think. No. When you had to make everything out of wooden stone, you were much more mature. And you know, he's turning 21 in he's turning 21 in February, and at some point I'm going to have to like trust his health to him. <laughs> Julie, I can trust the other stuff. He could be stupid, but this is his health. I've been taking care of his diabetes since he was 2. I'm just supposed to stop? Yeah. What happens if he'll have to deal with the doctor? What? It's much more difficult emotionally to be the parent of an adult kid. It's, it's complicated because you enable... <laughs> I don't know who that was, but you don't have to admit everything. Life is tough. And then you go to work. And then you do something stupid. And then you sin. 
and then the wrong person gets elected, and then your taxes go up, and then, ah, we could use a win here. I know you've been there. Whether you're in the ministry full-time or in the ministry non-vocationally, it's the life that we live as children of God. And it gets tough. I want to take you to a text. This is a phenomenal story from 1 Kings chapter 18. i uh, give you some background. Uh, this is about Elijah. Uh, you remember probably the most famous of all the prophets of the Old Testament or arguably one of the famous, most famous. He, he's basically the Old Testament John the Baptist. Um, in this particular text, there has been three years of drought that has drained the land of Israel of its vitality. Uh, king Ahab and Jezebel, uh, the wicked king and queen, um, they hate him. When he walks into the king's court, it's like, oh, you're here again. Will you go away? Let's just kill this guy. Uh, the people of Israel haven't abandoned God. They just added like 800 other gods to the worship. So one day God sends Elijah back to meet with the king. And he goes through Obadiah, who is a court official, who's remained faithful to the Lord. So let's pick up the story there in 1 Kings 18, verse 16. So Obadiah, the king's official, went to tell Ahab, the king, that Elijah had come, and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab, the king, saw him, he said, Is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? <laughs> that's, that's what? Wait, that's not funny to you. That is his nickname, okay? For those of you who want the gift of prophecy, that's what it looks like. I have, made tr uh, I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. King, I want you to summon all Israel to join me on Mount Carmel. Every time I say that, I think of ice cream. I, I just, I'm ADHD and it makes me hungry. I want you to gather... Uh, summon all of Israel to join me on Mount Carmel, along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who are supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and he said, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people stared at him. Ever felt alone? Ladies, where's my husband? And work is no excuse. This child is killing me. This guy was really, really alone. Then Elijah stood in front of them. And he said, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood of their altar, but without setting fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the, uh, on the wood uh, on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. Well, that sounds fair. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, you go first. I love this story. You guys know the story, right? 
So good. You go first, for there are many of you. Choose one of the bulls, prepare it, call on the name of your God, but do not set, it on, uh, set a fire to the wood. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. They called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Does anybody know why? Because Baal ain't real. But they don't know that. When the shouting, Oh, Baal, answer us, doesn't work, then they danced and hobbled around the altar that they made. Because when shouting doesn't work, we all know that hobbling around an altar does. Baal still doesn't answer. Verse 27, about noontime, and Elijah began mocking them. For those of you who think that being a servant of God is a civilized behavior, you're about to learn otherwise. <laughs> it's noon, he's tired, it's almost time for Jehovah to do his work. And he begins mocking them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps, perhaps he's daydreaming. Or maybe he's relieving himself. Yeah, that's what the prophet of the Lord said. Or, <laughs> or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder. And following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved. Now you know where that kind of party comes from. All afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice. But there was no sound, no reply, no response. I ask you, do you know why? Because there is no God Baal. Still didn't answer. Verse 30. Then Elijah called the people. Come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. Significant, but we don't have time to go into all that. Basically, the Jews aren't even worshiping Jehovah anymore. So he rebuilds their altar. He took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel, and he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering in the wood. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. <laughs> he is cocky. So they did as he said, and the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your, at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know you, O Lord, and God, uh, th that know you, O Lord, our God, and that you have brought them back to yourself immediately. By the way, the Hebrew word for immediately here means immediately. So, and, and I, I, want you to, I want you to see some things that, that aren't as easy to notice in, in, in English because we're, we, we like the end of the story so much, but I want you to understand that he was clear, and the Hebrew expands on it, that he, they were shouting. These people are beating themselves. They're dancing. They're cutting themselves to get bail, and this guy's talking. He's not screaming. He's just talking to God. Immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their face to the ground and they cried exactly what you would expect. Oh, Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. And that's a great story, isn't it? 
That is a great story. That reminds me of a time I took a group of teenagers to West Virginia, and we did ministry there. And it was, it was a glorious week. I mean, God worked. We saw people saved, and we prayed for them. We made great relationships. It was like the perfect uh, mission trip. And one evening on the way back from, uh, from a coal city that was just actually impoverished, we stopped at a, uh, a state park that overlooked this great valley. And we were sitting there. I've talked about this before because it's one of the neatest moments of my life. And we're, we're overlooking this valley, and it was a cool summer evening breeze. And we were singing. Uh, we were just talking. Uh, I always do debriefing when I do camps with students. And what'd you learn? What'd God show you about himself today? And we, th- that, this was back in the day. This is going to age me. Remember the, uh, as the deer pants for the water? And we're singing. We just started singing that. I think a kid started it. And we were singing it. And up over the hill behind me, I noticed the kids are looking, and there's three deer walking by. Our God is that good. Our God is that good. And as we sat there, as we sat there, we decided to have communion. Some kids said, can we have communion? And I said, uh, sure, but we don't have, uh, you know, communion bread, and we don't have wine. Yes, Pastor Mark, but we have hot dog buns and lemonade. And I said, well, if you can turn water into wine one time, you can do it here. So we had the most glorious hot dog lemonade communion you could imagine. It was us, a bunch of teenagers and adults, no separation of age, just men and women of God worshiping the King of Kings because he had done something wonderful for us. You've all been there. Maybe it was when you were baptized or maybe it was on a mission trip or the day you got saved, but you remember that? You've been there. That has to be where this guy is, right? It's got to be. He's got to be on the top of the mountain. I mean, what an experience. He's got to be feeling good about his ministry and his life. The problem is, we didn't live in West Virginia on the side of that mountain. We lived in Michigan. And Elijah didn't live on Mount Carmel. So basically, they kill, uh, Elijah instructs them by God's instructions to kill all the false prophets, and they do. And then we pick up the story in chapter 19, verse 1. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything. I want you to remember that it was Jezebel who loved the 850 false prophets. He told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods... (laughs) Oh man, there's a special place in hell for that woman. The gods who didn't answer. May the gods kill me. May the gods strike me. And even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Do you remember after that high experience you thought of when I was describing it, do you remember when you got home or to work and somebody reminded you that you're not as spiritual as you think and life isn't that grand, but there's still a battle raging? That's why we call them mountaintop experiences, isn't it? Because we live in the valleys. Look at his reaction to this, verse 3. This is pretty remarkable. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. Just like us. Is that incredible to you? I find great hope in this. I know it's terrible to find somebody else afraid, but it's nice to know that I'm not the only weenie in the kingdom. This guy just called fire down from heaven. This guy just destroyed 850 false prophets plus some others. He just actually brought single-handedly with the power of God revival back to the nation of Israel, and he's got one wicked queen who's going to kill him, and he runs for his life. Isn't that heartening? 
I mean, we have pictures of Elijah. You know, he's doing this and the fire, and it's awesome. You know, the, the big ice cream fire, you know, in <laughs> Mount Carmel. I told you, I'm ADHD. Uh, you, you got this big experience, and that's where we stopped the story, but it doesn't stop there because oh, Elijah was a real guy. He was a real piece of clay that God was using to glorify himself and to call a nation back to himself. He was way over his head. And when the queen says, I'm going to kill you, he runs for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness. He's even thoughtful. He's even thoughtful enough to leave his servant there. He takes him to a town. You just stay here. What's going to happen? Don't worry. I'm probably never going to see you again. Just go stay here. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. What? I have had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. By the way, I say this with a small d, not a clinical um, serotonin-caused d, but that's what depression looks like. That's what Jonah did. Paul wasn't depressed, but he feels, I'm just ready to end this. Sometimes, even the power of God using you and seeing him still leaves you exhausted. I don't know why people thought that we should think this, but just in case you're not clear, this is a battle that we're in. And the reason we gather once or twice a week is to remind each other that there's a war being waged outside of the walls of this building and that you're doing just fine. And as I look around this room, I've got news for you. It's almost over. You're all older than you think. <laughs> Everybody in this room is going to be at room temperature in 70 years. But I got news for you. That's retirement. That's when it gets good. That's when we don't have to worry about this junk. No more dirty diapers to change. No more politics to listen to. No more half-hearted, uh, you know, I don't know, passive-aggressive Facebook posts. No more bad service at restaurants. No more misunderstanding husbands or wives. No more alcohol to deal with. An eighth of a second after we cease to breathe in this body, we go home. And I got news for you. I'm going to say this is my opinion. I haven't fully thought this out theologically, so I could be on a sh shallow ground here. So I, I say that, but I, I want to encourage you with this. This life we live in the body, we live for God, Paul said, by faith, right? We are here to serve him. When we go home, that's about eternity and party and joy. It's actually like God's going to serve us. It's crazy. When you end this service here, you go home. Not, not Carpenter's Way service this morning, but when you stop breathing, you go home where God has been preparing a place for you. All right, I'm just going to say it. I'm dancing around it. It seems to me that we do our work here and then we go there to be served. But we serve here, and we get tired, and we get worn out. But when we go home, there's nothing but joy. 
There's nothing but joy. And it is coming. It is coming. It is closer than it has ever been. Stay the course. Stay the course. What you feel is life. If we have John the Baptist blinking, if we have Elijah asking for death, if we have Paul saying, I'd rather die, then that must be part of the godly man or woman's spiritual journey. It's part of the deal. Why does it have to be part of the deal? Because this thing is messed up. We messed it up. And God's in process of fixing it. Look how God responds to him, though. 1 Kings 19. So, um, but, but while he, as he was sleeping, so he laid down, he left his servant in the city. He goes off to be by himself. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I just, I'm just ready to be dead. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. What's the first thing the doctor tells you? Get up and eat. Eat something. He looked around, and there beside his head were some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. God brought breakfast. It moves me. It moves me. I've been raised in a culture that says, don't question God, don't get discouraged, it's a weakness in you. And I look at Peter a week after denying Christ three times, and what does Jesus do? Hey, Peter, throw the net on the other side of the boat. I don't like smart aleck people on the shore. Just do it. Hey, Peter, it's Jesus. And by the time Peter gets to the shore, what has Jesus done? He's made breakfast. Elijah, just kill me. I've made breakfast. God's not mad at you. Even your weakness, he's mad about you. Remember that verse we learned as children? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I love the new living. I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. I was always so angry as, my, as a child in church. It's an invitation. So there beside his head were some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank, and he laid down again. Thanks for that. Then the angel of the Lord came again, and he touched him, and he said, get up, eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. <laughs> You're not done, Elijah. Sorry. You're not that lucky. So he got up, and he ate, and he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel. 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. That's not very nice. What does your doctor tell you when you're depressed? Eat and exercise. <laughs> Clear your head. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Oh, now we have his heart. I'm a little bit angry with this task. Do you know that my child is ADHD? Can you imagine what my mother thought when I was four? Look, I know this guy's a prophet, and I know John the Baptist is a preacher, and I know you got Paul, who's wrote most of the New Testament. 
But do you understand that this happens to moms and dads? This is life. Your task is no less significant into the kingdoms, in the in kingdom plans. It's important what you do, where you do it. God has assigned you your, your emotions, your life, and your task. What are you doing here? I've served the Lord. The people of Israel have broken their covenant, and they've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by. And a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak, and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. Because too often we want God to be in the fire and we want him to be in the wind. When sometimes all he's whispering is, do you still trust me? Nah, it's okay. Get up and eat. We're going to take a walk. Because, my friends, God is not safe. He is good. He is not as we think him to be or even wish he was. He existed before us and he will exist after our bodies are long gone. He is who he is which is why he named himself, I am. Who should I tell, Moses asked, sent me? You tell him, I am sent you. What does that name mean? It's the answer to every question. I am what? The answer is yes. I am power. I'm victory. I'm supplier. I'm the healer. I'm the sovereign one. It doesn't feel like you're sovereign. Oh, child. I watched as Adam and Eve turned their back on me. I watched as Cain killed Abel. I watched as people died outside of the ark. I watched as Stephen was being stoned to death. I watched. But not once have I not been in complete control. So moms... I just want to encourage you in your exhausting task of raising godly children. It is your task. Keep going even when you're tired. Eat and take a walk. Dads, being an East Texas dad has less to do with hunting as it does being a godly man. Pray for your wife. Serve your wife. Raise godly kids. I don't know. I don't know how to do that. Start by walking with God. Surrender. Children of God, you have an exhausting task set ahead of you. You are called to be ambassadors of, God's, of our dad's kingdom, to be a living sacrifice 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Tell people they're adoptable, even if you, uh, even if you don't like them any more than Jonah liked the Assyrians. Even when you're sick or bankrupt or in your own crisis, Never, ever step away from your task. Actually, let me let Paul tell you how to handle this. From Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Just look at it. Keep going. Don't get tired. But I am tired. Take a shower. Try to get a nap get back at it. 
too tired. So was Elijah. So was Paul. So was John. It's almost over. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing. Do you remember what that looks like? Kip, will you put Revelation 21 up there? I want to remind you what the new Jerusalem looks like. What this harvest of blessing looks like. Actually, I didn't give it to you, Kip. Let me read it. I saw, John's recording this, a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So that's the herald. Somebody else there, an angel shouts that out. But look, it's almost like Jesus can't contain himself. Then the one sitting on the throne, Jesus Christ, said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, John, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will freely give from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all of these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Brothers and sisters, this is your future. This is your future. Stay the course. And if you are here this morning or watching on the internet and you don't know what happens to you 10 seconds after you die, I assure you that it is either with God or apart from God and he offers you an opportunity to spend eternity with him inheriting that. And all you have to do is acknowledge you're a sinner and he's the only one who can save your lousy rear end. It's as simple as that. Stop lying to yourself. God is your only hope. You can cut yourself, you can dance around an altar, and you can bleed for Baal, but he ain't coming to help you because he ain't alive. But our God has proven himself. And we invite you to join us, not at Carpenter's Way necessarily, but in the family of God. We are not a Baptist church. We are the church and the body of Christ. And that's what we value. I know it's hard. It's hard for me. But we're almost done. We're almost done. Let's finish well. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these young people who spoke to us from their testimony of being willing to stand in front of us and say, I belong to Jesus Christ. Lord, your Holy Spirit can use the testimony of a child. Your Holy Spirit can use the story of a, of a prophet that lives thousands of years ago. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would look around this room to the man or woman who is discouraged and you would hug their neck and let them know how impressed and proud you are of them. And for the person who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would call on the name of the Lord, acknowledge they're a sinner, and accept your offer, the gift of forgiveness. Don't let people die in their sins. We love you, Dad. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes. Thanks for being here this morning.